The following message by Shane Sowers is brought to you by Central Baptist Church, Aurora, Colorado. www.cbcaurora.com So again, we're in Psalm 119, uh, starting at verse 25. We're going to go, going to make it probably to verse 29 today. Um, But just a a real quick thing from... uh, um, from uh, Nicholas Carr. He has a book that he he wrote called The Shadows, what the internet is doing to our brains. Uh, He calls the internet a technology of forgetfulness. And he describes how, thanks to plasticity of our neural pathways, he says our brains are literally being rewired by digital distraction. The more we use the web, the more we train our brain to be distracted, to process information very quickly and very efficiently, but without sustained attention. That helps explain why many of us find it hard to concentrate even when we are away from our computers. Our brains become adept at forgetting and inept at remembering. We're reading a ton on our devices and streams. Uh, This is an interesting thing that he said that his team studied. He says, we actually read a novel's worth of words every day. Yeah, I thought that. I was shocked when I read that. A novel's worth of words every day. But it's not the sort of continuous, sustained, concentrated reading conducive to reflective thinking. Uh, Marianne Wolf, she argues, there is neither the time nor the impetus for the nurturing of a quiet eye, much less the memory of its harvests. A rapid fire toggling between spectacles. Um, I, I, don't, I don't go between, I don't know, some of you guys may do the spectacle things. I don't do the spectacle things. I just keep going like this, you know. <laughs> I like constantly going like this. Yeah. Um, the spectacles. An episode of Hulu uh, here and there, a Spotify album there, and a scanning of, of best friends' uh, blog posts works against wisdom in the moment by eliminating any time for reflection or synthesis before the next thing beckons. But it also works against wisdom in the long term, as brain research is showing. Our overstimulated brains are becoming weaker, less critical, and more gullible at a time in history when we need them to be sharper than ever. So, again, it's not that, you know, we, we get rid of this stuff. Um, you know, like, people like my wife would be happy if all technology disappeared, but... Um, <laughs> oh, and Al, too. I, just, but it's just one of those things where we just, you know, for a lot of us, we can't get rid of our, our jobs that we work, all that stuff. We're dependent on it even more. So it's not that we've got to get rid of it, but what we've got to do is we've got to offset it. What do I mean by that? Because our brains are continuing to be rewired, the, the question becomes, at what point in our lives will we say enough is enough? That's the point that we've got to get to first. Like, okay, I'm done having my brain rewired. The the question with that too is when will we say stop? So the thing is, is the brain gets rewired so much so that when we believe that it's time to say stop, we can't. And when we can't, it's already too late. Then we will never say stop And so what's going to happen is we're going to need intervention. So many of us know the power that the media has on us and the distraction that it causes, yet we continue to indulge. 
do we not think that there's going to be consequences with this overindulgence of the, the media? Attention spans are getting less and less. And let's be real here. Let's be honest today. It is not just the young people that are struggling with this. I see plenty of boomers and plenty of Gen X people that are so tied to their phones. You know, they're crossing the street looking at their phones and they can't see the cars that are screeching. And then you look at them and you go, oh, that crazy kid, adult. <laughs> There's plenty of this happening. We can't get people to break away from this stuff. Many struggle being away from their devices. Uh, some, sometimes I'm counseling people because of this, some of these kinds of addictions that they have. And they actually feel like if I take their phone and I hold it for them for a day, they'll call me up before, like, you know, when the day just starts, they feel like they're going to die, is what they tell me. So connected to their phones, they say it actually feels like a part of their body. And they feel like without it, they're going to die. Many of us won't admit it. And then we continually and conveniently fall into the Achilles heel of our culture today. What's the Achilles heel of our culture today? We constantly lie to ourselves. Constantly. Constantly lie to ourselves. It's not that we need to rid ourselves from the tech. What we've got to do is we've got to make sure that we're doing what we ought to do as well. Here's, here's an interesting thing. Um, it was when I'm seeing the doctor after my heart surgery, I was assigned to a nutritionist and we were talking. And this nutritionist was kind of considered by many to be somewhat radical in her uh, ideas and stuff like that. But one of the things that she said is like, yeah, I know, I gotta, I gotta cut out the rice, I have to cut out the french fries, I know I gotta cut out all of that kind of stuff. And she says, no, you don't have to cut that stuff out. She says, what you've gotta do though is you gotta eat the other stuff too. So she says, fine, you wanna eat rice and steak? Great, just make sure you eat a bowl of salad too. Oh, you wanna eat ice cream? Well, make sure you drink a glass of Metamucil. It's, she was saying that it's not as much cutting it out as much as it is, is making sure that you're supplementing it with the other things as well. And believe me, it's, it's helped. It, it's, for me, it's helped in, anyway. And um, I'm doing everything that I can to try to eat salad. Me and salad were enemies for a long time, uh, but we're starting to become friends now, especially when you put a whole lot of bacon in it. <laughs> Um, so, so um, it's kind of like that. It's like, okay, fine, you want to do the social media, you want to do the media, you want to do the tech, but you got to do the other stuff as well. What am I talking about? I'm talking about making sure that we are immersing ourselves in the scripture just as much, or I should say, even more so. But Shane, come on, man, I read the Bible on my phone. You know, I, I listen to sermons on my phone. I don't just watch TikTok and Instagram reels. I, I don't just play games. I read the Bible on my phone. I study it, all of that. But did you know that it's more than just reading the Bible? 
See, I think that we got, we're in this mode, especially in our culture today, where we think that we're okay as long as we're reading our Bible. Some of us think that, you know, hey, I'm doing the extra step. I'm doing, I'm doing something even more. I'm not just reading the Bible, Shane. I'm memorizing it too. Yeah, it's pretty good. But did you know that it's even more than that? It's more than just reading the Bible. It's more than just studying the Bible. It's more than just memorizing the scripture. But Shane, you should be happy that I'm even reading the Bible. Yeah, sure, I'm, I'm happy with that. But it's not what God commanded. Did you know that God didn't command us to just read the Bible? He didn't command us to just study the Bible. He didn't command us to just memorize the scriptures. From the beginning, God made it clear what he wanted us to do. Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, Joshua 1, 8. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night. So you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all that you do. So it's more than just reading the Bible. It's more than just studying the Bible. It's more than just memorizing scripture. God wants us to meditate on the scriptures. So let's take a look at our passage today. Psalm 119, uh, zeroing in on verses 27 to 29. Help me understand the meaning of your commandments, and I will meditate on your wonderful deeds. I weep with sorrow. Encourage me by your word. Keep me from lying to myself. Give me the privilege of knowing your instructions. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. We pray that it continues to be a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. God, you said that we don't live on bread alone, but also on every word that's spoken from you, Lord. And we thank you for the word in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first thing we're going to look at today is a deeper, more intentional explanation of what it is to meditate. Second, we'll see why the modern understanding of meditation can't be fruitful for us because we can't trust our hearts. And finally, we will see the reason for the need to meditate on the scriptures because we want to be consumed with the greatest news of them all, the gospel. So our thesis statement today is this. Uh, For those of you that don't know, the thesis is me summarizing the entire sermon in one sentence. Though sin and the pattern of this world cause us to lose sight of Scripture and put our trust in our distracted selves, it is the Scriptures and the power of the Holy Spirit that will cause us to see the beauty of the Word of God and spark the desire to consume ourselves in truth. So point number one, what is meditation? Brewing in the scriptures is kind of what I'm saying. It's going to go along with our illustration today. This is a very, very confusing word for us in our culture today. And it's kind of bizarre for, for many of us. It's bizarre when we hear meditation connected to Christianity. So when we're talking about Christianity, and sometimes you'll hear people say, hey, we need to meditate on the word of God. We need to meditate on his deeds. It's kind of bizarre and, and so it's so bizarre that it, it's sometimes, well, it's not sometimes, it's, it is one of those uh, topics of the scriptures that's very, very neglected today. We don't hear a lot about meditation. We hear about reading, we hear about studying the scriptures, we hear about memorizing the scriptures, but we don't hear a lot about meditation. 
What does it mean for us to meditate on the word of God? So what happens is, is that Eastern religions, and not just Eastern religions, but a lot of self-help, life coaching things, they're all starting to implement meditation into their methods and what it is that they're trying to do. But Eastern religions often encourage their practitioners to empty themselves. You got to empty yourself through meditation in order for you to achieve enlightenment or lasting peace in your life. So this is kind of what we hear. This is kind of what has become commonplace in our culture today. Now, I remember, I have a lot, not a lot, but I should say that I have some experience in this. When I was young and I was in my, you know, growing up in my family, it was very, very bizarre. <laughs> so, you know, so as you know that my my mom and my dad, I told many of you that, you know, they were divorced. And so um, as young kids, we, we grew up and we were uh, introduced to many of my mom's friends, right, that, that lived with us. And so I remember there was this one uh, who was really in, into the Hindu religion. So he was very into Hinduism. I don't know if you guys have a background or are familiar with Hinduism. Um, anyway, so we were brought in. And so it was like, you know, every day you came home from school, you went to our, you know, my, my mom's apartment, and you walk in there, and the first thing you smell is incense. You know, walk in, it's like, incense? What? what? It's like constant incense. And it always smelled like... Uh, I don't know, what is that spice? There's also that other spice thing that he just, well, cinnamon, what? Not, not Old Spice. Not Old Spice. He was at least, he, he at least wore brute. Uh, anyway, it's also that, that one, it kind of reminds me of like cumin or, or cumin, sorry, um, or uh, paprika, you know, that kind of, you know, the, the more Middle Eastern spices. Anyway, anyway, it smelled like that too. And they were pictures of like swamis. Like we called them swamis. They were swamis on the wall and just all this stuff. And there was like orange drapes that were all over the place. And, and uh, this, the red powder that, you know, you put on your head and stuff like that. So you go over to the incense table. And anyway, so they encouraged me and my sister that like we had to go meditate and we had to do meditation. And so um, oh, yeah, and the other thing, too, was like, you know, you walk in, the smells, all that stuff, and then there was like constant Congo music. Like, somewhere there was like something playing Congo. It's just, anyway, so we were always encouraged to meditate. I didn't understand the whole meditation thing, and that was actually our discipline. So we did something wrong. We didn't normally get spanked like all my friends did. We had to meditate. So that was our punishment, was meditation. So we sit there, we hit, put the thing on our head and, and sit down and I used to like to, because they all cross their legs like this and put your hands up like this and, you know, and then meditate. And we were told that what we're supposed to do when we meditate is we're supposed to look deep down inside, deep down inside into your soul. And when you do that, you'll find God in you. And I was like, okay, so I'm going to do this so I can see God. One day I'm going to meditate. I'm going to see God. And so, so that's, that's what we did. So we grow up, you know, all this kind of stuff. And, you know, went, went to these, I think it's called like ashrams. Is that what it's called, an ashram? Yeah. So we went to ashrams and there was all these people, you know, the ladies that were playing bongos. You know, they didn't shave their armpits. You know, all that stuff. I'm going to get in trouble for saying that. You watch. 
I'm totally, I'm just free, I'm free, free, you know, I'm free speaking here, sorry. Anyway, um, you go to the ashram and there are all this stuff and there are bongos and, and it is, the lights go out and then you do the, the, the chanting and all that stuff. So that, that's what meditation was. So that's what I connected it with. So when we, as, a young, as young Christians, we were told that we're supposed to meditate. And when they say, hey man, you need to meditate, it was like they got the astro look, you know, astro from the Jetsons, you know, the meditate. I, I can't meditate, man. I can't do that meditation stuff, man. That stuff is weird. And I can't believe we do this in Christianity. I thought we we're supposed to be free from the false religions, you know, all that stuff. And unfortunately, it was never explained to me. Never explained. And so because these things are not necessarily explained, it becomes very neglected. And so because we don't understand it, we just... Uh, yeah, we're supposed to meditate on scripture and then we just move on. And we just equate meditation with memorization. But it's so much more than that. Do we know what it means for us to meditate on the word of God? Uh, J.I. Packer, uh, the great J.I. Packer, he writes this. Meditation is the activity of calling to mind, thinking over, dwelling on, and applying to oneself the various things one knows about the works and ways and purpose and promises of God. It is an activity of holy thought consciously performed in the presence of God under the eye of God by the help of God as a means of communication with God. It's so much more than just reading. It's so much more than this study. It's so much more than just memorizing. It's you gotta read the scriptures, you gotta study the scriptures, you gotta memorize the scriptures so that you can meditate on the scriptures. Man, Shane, you're wearing me out already. It's hard enough for me to, to, to just read the scriptures. Yeah, it's very telling. Um, hey, Al. Can I borrow you? To explain how scripture meditation goes beyond hearing, reading, studying, and even memorizing as a means of taking in God's word, uh, author, a friend, good friend, uh, Southern Baptist uh, minister, and uh, uh, he teaches at Southern Seminary, um, uh, Donald Whitney, he provides an amazing analogy of meditation, and he uses the illustration of a cup of tea. So in this analogy... Your mind is the cup of hot water. So uh, I believe there's hot water in there. So you don't have to, this is like a fancy one, so you can just pop that, yeah. Yeah, I know, it's cool, huh? Well, well, no, 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 put that in there. Okay. I, I should have used an elder, not a deacon. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's good. Okay, so... Um, so here is our mind. Okay, so let's just sit there. Uh, this is our mind. Our mind is the cup of water, and the tea bag uh, represents our intake of Scripture. Now, hearing the word is like one dip of the tea bag into the cup. So we hear the word, and it's one dip. Now, maybe give it a little bit more. Yeah, there it is. Okay, that's one dip like one dip of the tea bag into the cup. Now, some of the tea's flavor is absorbed by the water, 
but not as much as would occur with a more thorough soaking of the bag. So, so after the one, well, one dip. Okay, do you feel like it's soaked up some? It looks it's, a little. It's discolored. It's discolored, okay. So um, reading, studying, and memorizing God's word are like additional plunges of the tea bag into the cup. The more frequently the tea enters the water, the more permeating its effects. So we can dip it in there somewhere. Yeah, and then pull it out, and then put it back in, and then pull it out. Okay, so that's good. So we can pull it out. All right. So meditation, however, is like immersing the bag completely and letting it steep until all the rich tea flavor has been extracted and the hot water is thoroughly uh, reddish brown. Meditation. <laughs> is, he, is he drinking it? No, it's probably burn my tongue. Oh, it's going to burn your tongue. Okay. Meditation on scripture is letting the Bible brew in the brain. I oh, love that. I don't know why, but I just love that. Brewing in the brain. Do we allow the scriptures to brew in our brain? This is, this is where it gets good. Thus, we might say that as the tea colors the water, meditation likewise colors our thinking. When we meditate on scripture, it's color and our thinking about God and about God's ways and his word and his world and about ourselves. So let's drop it in there. Now let's see what happens. So we're gonna, this is meditation now. So we, we read, we memorize, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, thank you, thank you. I don't know. Thank you, let's give Al a hand. Oh yes, yes. Such talent, such ability. So we're so gifted here at Central. Meditation, letting the Bible brew in our brain. See, it's just, do we spend enough time doing that? R.C. Sproul, he helps us here. Studying the depths of God's word is important, but at times we can walk away from such study and not remember much of what we read. Meditating on the text helps us to get it in our souls so that we might never forget what it teaches. So what's amazing about this is it's not just forgetting what it says. We forget what it teaches. Sure, we can memorize scripture, but have we forgotten what it teaches? Have we forgotten how it fits into the narrative of scripture? Have we forgotten what it means and what it actually is? See, biblical meditation invites Christians into the world uh, of God and his word. This is the moment, family, when we allow the scriptures, when we meditate on the scriptures, this is when we find real refreshment, real vitality, real revival, and real joy. This is when it begins for us. Every Christian who wants to grow in grace, do we really want to grow in grace? Well, if we want to grow in grace, we meditate on the word and we think deeply about the word of God. So we, we can sit down, we can read scripture. Let me give you an example. So we sit down and we can read scripture, right? So we're in our quiet time. Hopefully we have our quiet times and we're sitting there, we read scripture. And some of us are, 
are into memorizing scripture. When I was in Bible college, I was like crazy memorizing scripture. I wanted, to, I wanted to memorize books. So there was a couple of times. So I memorized the book of Romans. I can't uh, do it anymore. Uh, something happened to my brain when I turned 50. Um, uh, First and Second Timothy, they were books that I would memorize. And so I, I, can, I can remember feeling good when we get to this place where we're reading the scriptures and we get to Romans chapter one and then you, you, you practice because you're memorizing scripture so you close the book and you go, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus called to be an apostle set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promised beforehand through the scriptures regarding his son Jesus who as to his human nature was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the son of God, Jesus Christ our Lord. Memorize, right? But it's more than that. See, right then we go, yeah, I'm the man. I memorized scripture. I did what the Lord wanted me to do. But we're not letting our brains brew with the scripture. I, I tapped it a couple of times, got some color, you know, we got some color. But did we allow the fullness of the word So what meditation is like is we're sitting here and we go, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. Paul, he said that he's a servant of Christ Jesus. Some some people will, will translate that as a bond slave. So we understand Paul as a bond slave that's called to be an apostle. So we think about what does it mean for us to be a slave? What does it mean? What, what is he trying to say? What is he trying to communicate? So we got some study involved in that, but also we're allowing the word to brew in our brain that it's not just, oh yeah, well, I know that Paul is a servant of God. Yeah, but what does that mean? Called to be an apostle. Paul was an apostle. Apostles were these amazing guys that were called by Christ to be his representative, for them to plant churches, to help churches, to be the foundation of the gospel. So this is something that Paul was. Paul received it. And so you see how you're allowing the scriptures to just, you know, a servant of Christ, he's called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel, the gospel he promised. Okay, you know, yes, this is an awesome thing because Pastor Shane, he always talks about the gospel every single Sunday at our church. And he says the gospel is what? That Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scripture. Called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, the gospel he promised. That's what he's talking about. So Paul is starting the book of, Re- of, of Romans with the gospel. So we start talking about the gospel, the gospel he promised beforehand through his son Jesus, who was a descendant of David. Come on, that's a lot for us to allow to brew in our brains. So what should happen when we think about, you know, he's a descendant of David? We would naturally think, ponder, meditate on who was David and why was this important? So we go back to the covenant that God made with man and then we go to the covenant that God made with David. Yeah, this is important because the person that was going to fulfill the promise that God made to David would be the Messiah, So Jesus being a descendant of David was pretty important. And he was declared with power to be the son of God. So not only is he a descendant of David, but Jesus was the son of God, the second person of the Trinity. God himself, the God made flesh, the word was made flesh, dwelt among. You see how it goes? It's more than that. 
So we're spending time thinking, meditating, allowing our brains to brew in the scriptures. That's the beauty of meditation. So what happens is, when I walk away, I don't forget. How many of you guys memorize stuff in school that you still remember today? Well, some of us might have certain things, right? I pledge allegiance to the flag, you know. We got, we got that, right? <laughs> we got that. So some things, but for the most part, you know, a lot of stuff that we had to memorize in chemistry, like we had to memorize the periodic table. Yeah, yeah, I, I just, I see letters now. You know, so all that stuff, but when we meditate upon these things, it becomes a part of us, and it, our brains brew in it, and it's not easy for us to forget what it teaches. That's what R.C. Sproul was saying here. That's the beauty of this. So as we hear, as we read, as we study, as we memorize the word, the power of scripture will do its thing. When we are fueled by biblical meditation, our souls, that's when our souls are set ablaze. That's when the real passion for God and his words become off the charts. It's, it's, the more we engage in biblical meditation, the more we will see the word giving off its power onto us lighting up its objective, its absolute truth in our minds and by its truth to us through the Holy Spirit whose word provides insight and understanding, it results in a passion for obedience to God by his grace. Don't we want more of this in our lives? Are we not tired of growing cold every day? Thomas Watson pointedly notes, the reason we come away so cold from reading the, the word of God is because we don't warm ourselves in the fire of meditation. This is the missing piece, family. This is the part that, that we've really got to try to capture that we really got to try to hold on to when it comes to our Bible reading. It's not just sitting there reading the words and thinking, okay, we're good. We got it. Because then we walk away and one hour later, we forgot everything that we read. What was your devotions on today? I, um, it was something in Psalms. You know why? Because I'm in Psalms. So it was something in Psalms. Yeah, something about God. Something about Jesus, maybe. Anyway, yeah, something. It, it's more than that. It's more than this. And so this is the thing that gets me is sometimes people will come and be like, hey, Shane, Shane, you know what? I read the Bible every single day and it just doesn't work. And my response is always this. We were never called to just read the Bible. The Bible tells us that we're supposed to do what with this word? We're supposed to meditate on it. Spend time on it. Don't just read it and pass and move on and say, hey, we got a check mark. We did our devotion this morning. If you didn't meditate on the word of God day and night, you are not fulfilling what it is that God had called us to do. So then I say, well, you haven't been meditating on the word. No, then of course you're not going to do well. Of course not. The reason we come away so cold from reading the word is because we do not warm ourselves at the fire of meditation. Memorizing the scriptures allows us to store up God's truth in our hearts and minds. And meditation is deep thinking on biblical truth, which cultivates reality. 
Deep thinking on biblical truth would cultivates biblical reality. That's why I think that we can still meditate on the scriptures, and especially here if, you're, if you go to work and you got to go on I-25 in the morning. Right? If you memorize the scriptures, memorize the scriptures, um, was that ADT? Yeah, it was ADT. Okay, so somebody might have just broke into the house or the church. Well, we can't break into the church. Anyway, um, uh, what was I saying? Oh, yeah, somebody was breaking into the house. Meditate on, Meditate on the word. Right, right, we're meditating. So, so that's why memorization is good, because memorization helps us to meditate. Because sometimes we don't have the Bible there for us to open and, and read. So, you know, we would, I would sit there and we would think about what it is that we had memorized. That's the, that's the awesome thing. That's the wondrous thing when it comes to meditating on the scriptures. So what are we, what are we supposed to take away from this? We meditate on the scriptures. We don't just read. We don't just study. We don't just memorize. We meditate. And when we do this, the deep thinking that we do on biblical truth, it will cultivate for us a biblical reality. And this is why I feel like many, many, many people struggle when it comes to the scriptures because we're not meditating on the scriptures. We're not spending the time that we need to to allow the scriptures to become more real to us. And let me say this, family. You know, when people, you know, Janine asked me, she was like, you know, when you were doing this outreach to to um, to the general public through social media and you got to interact with thousands, we got to interact with thousands of people, what, what did you learn? Uh, there were several things that I learned, but one of the things that I said that I learned, that's the number one thing that I will say and tell anybody. I never realized just how important. Okay, I knew it was important, but I didn't realize how important the Bible is to our culture. You are not going to survive the culture without scripture. I'll tell you that right now. If we are not taking the Bible serious, we are going to lose in this culture. Because, man, I'm telling you, there is tons of information, tons of method, tons of lies, tons of deceptions, tons of that stuff out there. And the only thing that we've got to stand on sometimes is the Word. That's it. Actually, for, for me, I can say that's the only thing. In the end, the, the conversation ends with Scripture. It does. It's just the Bible is the thing that's going to take us forward. And you know what's amazing about that? Isn't it the Bible, God's word? That's the only place that he promises that he would fulfill. His word would not return to him void. So anytime I talk to people about responding and engaging with anybody, we use God's word because that is what God promises to bless. That the word is going to be so important. It's going to be even more important for us to, to do more than just read it, to do more than just study it, to do more than just memorize it. Family, we have got to meditate on it, even during this time where we've got to be as sharp on the scriptures as we can possibly be. We have got to, got to be sharp when it comes to engaging our culture. We've got to memorize and we've got to meditate on the word. 
We got to take the word of God serious. We're going to lose if we don't. And that is one thing that is absolutely 100% apparent when it comes to engaging our culture. I, I mean, I see it. I see other Christians trying to engage and they don't use the word of God. And you know what ends up happening? It turns into a he said, she said thing. Well, I think this. Well, I think this. Well, you don't have the word of God in it. It's just one person's opinion versus another person's opinion. Even if what you're saying is right, if it's not founded and the authority is not based on scripture, it's just your opinion. And it's just nothing but opinions that we have that's roaming around in our culture today. And we think that this has nothing to do with the moral degradation that we're seeing in our culture today and, and the truth that everybody just decides they can have on their own. Like, I can, I can decide if I, I want to be male or female these days. We, we, we got that right. We got that choice. And nobody can say anything about it. Do you know Why? Because it's just one person's opinion against another. Do you want to know? Hey, Jack, stop that really good. I don't want any of you guys thinking I'm running for office. But do you guys know? Do you guys know why everything is hostile when it comes to this stuff? You notice that? Like, we say what we need to say, and then people get this mentality like, okay, look, it's just talk. We, there needs to be action we got to start doing things. So you remember the whole thing when it come, came to riots, when it came to all the violence and stuff that we saw when it came to the political agenda? Because they said, look, we can't talk. Why? Because talking doesn't do anything. Do you know why talking doesn't do anything? Because it's just one person's opinion against another. So if you want action, you've got to force it. So one pastor, an actual pastor, came out and said that no, we have to. There has to be rioting. There has to be violence. We have to assault people. We have to kill people because that's the only way the message is going to be heard. Okay, that's, this, is what, this is what we're, I'm just telling you what I've heard. This is what's happening. That's the message. The only way people are going to listen is we've got to riot. We've got to fight. We've got to fight back and all that stuff. Do you know why? Because that's what we're taught one person's opinion isn't any better than another. So if we're not going to bring God into the picture where there's objective truth, then there is that one thing that we see in history. Might makes right. So guess who got attacked? Authority. Defund the police. You gotta get rid of the might makes right because in the end it's only opinion this degradation that we're seeing in society family I'm telling you flat out this is not me this is not my campaign it's not a campaign slogan this is all because there is no objective truth all of this is because of that it's because we threw out the bible and as long as you throw out scripture, this is what's going to happen. Do you want to know what it's called? People do what is right in their own eyes. Okay, Jack. Serious. And, and, and the thing is, is we can't, we can't, um, we can't be objective. We can't stand on things. 
See, and all of this stuff has become political, and it's not a political thing. Do you know that? It really isn't a political thing. When it comes to objective truth, when it comes to morality, when it comes to all that stuff, it's not the government. It's not. It's the word of God. That's the objective truth. And the government is supposed to be upholding the truths that God has given. That's how it's supposed to be. So do you know what? It's not a political thing. We think that our answer is getting the right person in office, and it's not. The answer is the church needs to wake up and start doing what it is that they're supposed to be doing, what we're supposed to be doing. We've got to stop lying to people from the culture, and we've got to the people in the culture, we've got to start being truthful for what it is, that, and we're supposed to do the things that we're supposed to do. We've got to be careful of that. We've got to make sure of that. We've got to uphold that. That is what God has called us to do, to be people that are preaching the gospel and are, are, are proclaiming the gospel and standing up for what is right. And we do this by studying. We do this by reading. We do this by memorizing. And we do this by meditating on the words of God. We've got to get serious when it comes to the Bible family. And we need to pray for our culture that we actually will. So, so here's the next thing. So the reason why meditation is the way that it is um, and why it's difficult is people will say, hey, Shane, that's a lot to do. I mean, that's a lot. It's really hard for me to just read the word of God. This is why we've got to be honest with ourselves. How do we actually see the scriptures? Do we believe that the scriptures really is the word of God? Because if we actually did, do we not believe that the Bible is, is more precious than gold? Then isn't it more, worth more than millions in gold and silver? Isn't it more precious than rubies? Do we believe that? Because if we believe that, then it shouldn't be an issue when I say, hey, you know what, Shane, you just turned my Bible reading time from 10 minutes to an hour. If you say I got to memorize, now I got to be doing my devotions for an hour now. I, I ain't got the time for that, man. I just can't do that. You know, I mean, for some of us, it's like, you know, if I read large portions of scripture, man, you're talking like eight to 10 hours. You want, you're telling me you need me to sit here. God is telling me I need to sit here and I need to spend eight to 10 hours meditating on his word. That's what it is that he wants. Are you nuts? I don't have time to be spending all that time meditating upon God's word. Yeah, it's amazing what we have time for when it's things that we actually want and desire. Oh yeah, I don't got eight to 10 hours to spend meditating on God's word, but I got eight to 10 hours to sit in front of the TV and binge watch a movie on Netflix. I'm like, some people are just like, hey, yeah, I just been watched. I watched the whole TV series on whatever it is, whatever the show is. And I'm just like, dude, there's like 25 episodes. Yeah, dude, I just sat there and just watched one right after another. Each one of those episodes is an hour. Yeah, just, yeah, I was just, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Pretty much woke up at eight o'clock in the morning on Saturday, and I pretty much watched the whole thing till two o'clock in the morning on Sunday. It's funny because you know people that do it. It's funny because some of you guys are those people. 
Okay, good. I'm glad to hear somebody say, no, no, that's not me. <laughs> we can do that with Netflix, but we can't do it with the scriptures. Wow. Wow. The amount of time we use for entertainment is crazy compared to the time we spend in God's word. And this time is legendary. Yeah, it's legendary because people like pride themselves in it, man. I binge watched, I watched the whole Star Wars from, very, from the very beginning all the way through. It took like 24 hours, but I did it. Huh, 24 hours watching Star Wars. Did you read the Bible at all that day? Well, I was going to go to church on Sunday, so I'll get, I'll get some of that tomorrow. <laughs> Many religions and even self-help stress control methods, they practice meditation as well. Such worldviews will emphasize that any attempt to focus on a particular mental object, someone or something outside of ourselves, is going to interfere with the desired goal of meditation. We have to empty our mind or we need to get ourselves in an altered state of consciousness. Outside is a distraction. You got to concentrate to keep it out. Then you will have the peace that you are looking for within. We are to turn within. That's what they tell us. Eastern religion, self-help, stress control methods, even life coaching. Turn within, they tell us. Achieve a sense of inner peace that the world around us constantly denies to us. We're to find enlightenment through the paradox of self-emptying. And you will see God. You will understand God. You will find God because you are God. Pretty crazy words, huh? Pretty amazing how far this stuff goes. Family, Christian meditation is not this. A Christian approach to meditation cautions us, warns us, and implores us about turning within ourselves. Why? Because if we're honest, we all know what we're going to find when we do. That's where you start to see all sorts of sin and self-righteous judgments, all kinds of lies that we tell ourselves. Our hearts, by nature, are dark. Our minds are filled with all kinds of lust, greed, and mental futility. Genesis chapter 6, verse 5. Genesis 6, 5. The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and he saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. Jeremiah 17, verse 9. Jeremiah 17, 9. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? This is why I say there's no such thing as neutrality. When we come to the world, when we come to those who express to be atheists and those that don't believe, this is why I say you can't go on the grounds of neutrality because there is no neutrality. Neutrality is a myth. Let me tell you that family, neutrality is a myth. You cannot talk to another a Christian, a person who is not a Christian and to come to some sort of agreement when it comes to the most important things in life. Do you know why? Because Romans chapter 21, yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. They began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Why are we listening? 
to these people. Why? Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17 to 19. Ephesians 4, 17 to 19. With the Lord's authority, I say this. Live no longer as the Gentiles do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. There is no neutrality with people who are not Christian. Everything they say is coming from a darkened mind, from a, accused, from a, a confused mind. That's, what, that's not me. This is the Bible telling us this. This is what God is saying. So try as we will, family, even as Christians, we're not going to be completely emptied of such things until we're actually glorified. This is the struggle that we have with what the Bible refers to as the flesh. But it doesn't take long to discover the many, many lies we tell ourselves, especially when it comes to our motives when we're being judged by the word of God. No, 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 Shane, you don't understand. As a Christian man, I made many sacrifices. I've made lots of sacrifices. But when times are tough, we feel as if God owes us because of the sacrifices that he made. The late Tim Keller said this, if you give God Expecting God to give back when you need it, all you did was give to yourself. These are the lies we tell us. This is, this is the kind of stuff we tell us when we're lying, especially when it comes to, hey, God, make me rich. If you make me rich, I'll make sure I give 0.5% to missions. Give me 10, give me $10 million, $10 million, and I'll put $100 in the mission fund. I'm, I'm going to give back. I, I totally am going to give back. In modern Christianity, we, do sac- we don't sacrifice. Do you know what we do in modern Christianity? We don't sacrifice. We invest. We invest in Christianity. I'm investing in God. I go to church as part of my investment. I give my tithes as part of my investment. I give money to missions as part of my investment. I make sacrifices. It's part of my investment. And I expect a return with interest, a whole lot of interest when I need it, when it's time to cash in. Many of our pulpits today are just desks that give financial advice. Family, we think that the only, the only thing that's out there are the Eastern religions that are teaching us to look in ourselves to find success, to find peace, to find heart. Look in ourselves. We think that that's just the, the Eastern religions. It is not. It is the ideology of our culture today. This is what our culture tells us. If there is one place you see this, the, ideology, the ideology of meditation looking in self today is with the life coaching stuff that we hear the life coaching stuff that we hear that's actually coming from pulpits today. The life coach in the church urges, urges people to look within themselves to find the answer, to look within them to find hope, to look within yourself to find success. In the church, success slogans that are given by rich entrepreneurs are quoted even more than scripture. This is insane. This is insanity. It's happening within the church today. Many people quote these to me. They they give me these these rich entrepreneurial quotes, the success quotes, and they tell me that it's in the Bible. Seriously, here's my favorite. I get this all the time. Here's my favorite, some of my favorites that I can remember. 
Some of my favorites. Hey, Shane, it, this is, you need to stop doing the sin thing because you're, you're discouraging people from doing what it is that they need to do. And we don't want to discourage what's within them. It's like the Bible says, all our dreams can come true if we just have the courage to pursue them. I'm serious. This is not a straw man. I'm, I'm telling you exactly what happens. To which my response was, hey, that actually isn't the Bible. That was Walt Disney. <laughs> Shane, Shane, Shane. Shane, it's just, they, they got to see their worth inside. They've got to see just how important they are to themselves. It's like the Bible says, people begin to become successful the minute they decide to be. Just like the Bible says? Can you show me? It's Shane, you, you're, you're, when you tell them that they are not uh, able to do the, the God-like divine thing that God has called us to do, you are squashing the potential that they have to be great, uh, successful people in this world. You gotta stop doing that. Stop talking to them about sin. Stop making them feel bad. They've got to look and they've got to see their worth inside. They've got to go deep down inside and they've got to see. It's like the Bible says, the only limit to our realization of tomorrow is our doubts today. I'm serious. All of this is a turning within. It's telling people to turn and look within. Turn and look inside of you. The power that you need is inside of you. It's what you are. It's who you are. Look deep down inside and say to yourself, you can do it. It's just like the Bible says in, in you know, First Hezekiah. <laughs> you can do it. <laughs> that's, that's right. Simply turning within ourselves offers no enduring hope for the relief of those stresses, the pains, the frustrations that decidedly Eastern religion practitioners or life coaching practitioners, meditation, all these things, what they're seeking. In reality, we need something even greater than ourselves. That's the reality. That's why you're not going to find hope in it. That's why people, the most successful people in our world today are just as depressed as, as everybody else in our country. Why? Because you can't look to yourself for hope. We can't look to ourselves for this. We have got to have something greater than ourselves, something who was crucified for our sins and raised from the dead, who has ascended to the Father's right hand where he can make intercession for his people. We need something so much more than we are because we were made to be so much more. Family, no more wasting our lives. Can we do that? Can we commit? We're not wasting our lives anymore. That we're going to believe. Like, like you know, I don't know how many of you guys, I know I've said this several times, but let's take that plunge. Take the plunge that I have taken in, in the fact that I am going to base my life and trust everything that the Bible says 
I'm going to stand on it. So much so and in such a way that if the Bible was actually shown to be a waste, then I wasted my entire life. Let's build the church. Let's build our ministries. Let's build what it is that God has called us to do on his word and trust, right? Because the God, the word of God made flesh that dwells among us, that God said, all other ground is sinking sand. We need something much more than we are because we were made to be so much more. We're made to be so much more than just successful people living life with material comforts in our lives. We're made for so much more. We're not supposed to be that. We're the people that are supposed to transcend that. We are the people that see that everything that the world provides pales in comparison to the King of Kings and to the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ. Pales in comparison. When we recognize that, when we meditate on the Word and we really, really allow the Word to, to brew in our brains, then the Bible becomes even more of a reality to us than it is before. And when the Bible does that, guess what happens? God becomes even more of a reality to us. And then Christ becomes more of a reality to us. And then when we see that and when we experience that and Christ is more of a reality for us than anything else, then all the things of the, of the world grow strangely dim. Wow. And we meditate upon the best news that we've ever heard. We're confident of this because salvation is here. Yes, we are dead in our trespasses and sin. No one is righteous. No, not one. There is no one on earth who always does good and never sins. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. We are all by nature children of wrath. By nature, we are all destined for the place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, eternal darkness and eternal fire. But I'm here to say that there is salvation for us today. Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures and he was buried and he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners. He became sin who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life has set us free from the law of sin and death. He came to seek and save that which was lost. We are saved by grace through faith. And this is not of work so that no man can boast. Jesus came to bring us life and life more abundant. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life and family. The promises continue. All who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. All of this is written so that you will believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and by believing you will have life in his name. The Bible also says if you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This is the word of God that we just don't read, that we just don't study, that we just don't memorize. But today, let the gospel penetrate our hearts because we're going to meditate on it, to think on it. Today at lunch, Think on it. Allow these words to brew within our brains. 
these words are not just worthy and lovely to hear. They are worthy of soaking in, brewing in, resting in, dwelling in. We got to look outside of ourselves today. That's why, that's why I tell us that we got to hear the gospel every single week. The gospel is that, that message that's not innate in us. It's not natural. The idea of the gospel just naturally bizarre, if you really think about it. It's naturally bizarre. We need to hear what is outside of us today, and that is the Word of God. Family, we need more. We need more than ourselves. So much more than ourselves because we are made to be so much more. Let's pray. Thank you for listening and may the Lord bless you and keep you. For more information about Central Baptist Church, go to www.cbcaurora.com.